The Guardian. Guardian Podcast, sponsored by audible.co.uk. For a free download, be sure to check out guardian.co.uk slash free download, where Guardian listeners can choose any audiobook for free. See the page for more details. I'm John Plunkett, and it's a talent show special on this week's Media Talk. That's not to say it's not always a show filled with talent, but this week we'll be talking about the biggest rivalry in TV since Craig the Builder went up against Nasty Nick in Big Brother. That's right, it's BBC One's The Voice versus ITV's Britain's Got Talent. Plenty more on that to come as we hear from both shows and get the lowdown from the man who knows all about Saturday night shiny floor entertainment shows, Mr Wayne Garvey. Plus, like the 50p income tax rate, Mark Thompson is no more. Well, he is, but he'll be stepping down as BBC Director General after the London Olympics. We ask who will succeed him. And Doctor Who gets a new companion and Channel 4 sweeps the floor, not literally, at the Royal Television Society Awards. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. I'm joined by Dan Sabber, The Guardian's Head of Media and Technology, and by Vicky Frost, The Guardian's TV Editor. Welcome both. Plenty on The Voice and Britain's Got Talent to come, but we kick off with Mark Thompson's departure from the BBC. He announced this week that he'd be standing down in the autumn, firing the starting gun on the race to fill one of the most sought-after jobs in broadcasting, even if it won't pay quite as much as the 671 grand Thompson currently earns. Dan, Thompson's departure has been anticipated for some time, not least by yourself and The Guardian a couple of months back. Uh, Why is he leaving now? Why did he choose to announce his departure at this time? Thompson's been saying that he thought about leaving uh, after the Olympics all along. In fact, he, I think he was telling friends that he, he thought about this as long ago as 2005, from the moment that we had won the Olympics bid. Well, there you go. Uh, and he was certainly telling Chris Patton or Lord Patton as much uh, from the moment Lord Patton turned up as, uh, as chairman. So it makes sense to go now because uh, if he was going to stick around, I mean, he's 54, he's got, got petrol in the tank. If he wants to, to, to stay, he's not under any pressure, but you know, the charter renewal process starts in a year or two, and that's a long haul. So if he, he was going to stick around, he'd really have to stick around for sort of five years or so. And, you know, I think he's got to decide whether he wants to do, do another. He's got another big job in him, and I think he clearly thinks he has. No shortage of speculation on who's going to succeed him. There two, two things stand out. Well, first is that uh, people seem to anticipate it's going to be the first female DG. I think that's a reasonable bet. The, the problem is that there's no there's no obvious candidate. I think when Greg Dyke fell, Mark Thompson really was the sort of standout candidate, and really the question was, could he actually be prized out of Channel Four? Could he be persuaded to apply? And that, that went on for a while, but he listened to his inner voice. As I think it was a Sonia Gandhi quote he said at the time, modestly, and uh, and, and and did go for it and got it, of course. Uh, here, it's just there, there isn't anyone. There's not an obvious household name. But Caroline Thompson, Chief Operating Officer, very well placed, knows the way the BBC works, knows the charter renewal process, knows all the policy and mechanics and all the political side. Incredibly important part about being a BBC DG, being able to represent the organisation politically, select committees on the media, all the rest. But she hasn't made any programmes for 20 plus years. <clears throat> There's always a view that there should be someone with some programming experience too. Thompson himself had you know, edited uh, edited the news and Panorama um, before going on to BBC Two. So he had programme making experience. That could play into George Entwistle's hands. News Nightman from 2001, 2004 and that sort of post Twin Towers period. But Entwistle's, although he's been promoted, has sort of risen quietly since. So... Not so sure that he's again sort of a, a you know a compelling contender. He's a contender, but not a compelling contender. Um, Alan Bowden had a news may have a chance. Tim Davy and Radio 
But phew, there's not anyone you absolutely want to put all your money on, not, not within the corporation anyway. So Peter Bezwijek, talking about Thompson's exit, said that one criticism of Thompson might be that he hadn't actually done any uh, succession planning and that the lack of an obvious internal candidate would seem to back that up. It's a very good point, actually. Uh, Entwistle was promoted, but as you suggested just then, it, it came late, or too late, to make him an obvious success. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they sort of got, you know, they had some people who have been there a long time, the Jenny Abramskis and the Jana Bennetts, and they get m- moved off, and that was the moment to maybe bring in a bring in somebody but perhaps you could argue peter fincham might have been that person um he may still be that person of course but uh he 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 fell out he ran out of luck or made a you know error of judgment vis-a-vis bbc one and 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 the queen editing row and that obviously uh, put him to one side i don't think he's put put you know been put to one side permanently i think uh the queen editing row is now forgotten and i think he would have a very good chance if he was hungry for the job i think his challenge is he's got all the creative you know he ticks all the creative boxes but can he tick that sort of you know that leadership box can he handle the public scrutiny does he want to you know have his salary raked over in public does he want to sort of go to endless select committees and do all the things that you have to do uh, well, Wayne Garvey, as I mentioned earlier, uh, will join the podcast to talk about Saturday night uh, talent shows. But uh, the All Three Media Man also touched on the uh, the DG job, and here's what he had to say. I think it'd be great if it was a woman, but I think here's the problem with the job: it's it's a really tough job. It's a really tough job, and there doesn't seem to be much upside apart from if you have a belief in public service and you want a place in the House of Lords at the end of it. So you're either going to have to be a BBC lifer, for which the salary isn't particularly an issue. Or you're going to have to be some person who's got what Greg Dyke famously called fuck-off money. That's what Greg said he had. Um, I think the next director general has to be an inspiring, motivating figure. You cannot underestimate the, the loss of faith within the BBC, in the BBC, which is, which is pretty palpable. I think everyone's aware of that. And I think you need someone who can really motivate and point a clear vision of where the BBC is going to go. Um, I think George Entwistle was a great, a great guy, and I think the issue with George will be, could he have done a few more years of running the TV service? But George is, is extraordinarily capable. Uh, externally, are people like Peter Fincham really interested? What about someone like, you know, it would be quite interesting to get someone from outside the BBC, but someone, someone has to have knowledge of the broadcasting industry. What about someone like Eileen Gallagher? You know, someone, someone who really would shake up the BBC and would do it in a very, very different way. You know, if I was looking for, you know, it would be great to see someone like that being interested in the role. But I think the problem is going to be getting people interested in, in, in what is palpably a difficult job. So, Daniel, Wayne mentioned Fincham as you did, and he does seem to be the, the leading external candidate. But there's also some surprises in the mix, it would appear, and certain uh, Ed Richards. Oh, yeah, there's, there, a lot of people are talking about Ed Richards, who happens to be the chief executive of Ofcom, of course, and I, and I don't think could realistically run whilst he was chief executive. And I think that makes him an unviable candidate all round. Plus, he's not, not a program maker at all, although clearly he ticks the policy box. Uh, and then you start to, the more you think about it, in one sense, you sort of think, mm, again, I, I can't quite think of anyone convincing. David Abraham hasn't been at Channel 4 quite long enough, I think, to really you know, prove himself. Um, Sophie Turner Lang's an interesting name, but she's probably very well paid at Sky. Would she really want to come come, come and join the Beeb? But then if you start thinking in a more left-field way, maybe you get other names sort of start to emerge. Um, uh, we were reminded of a gentleman called Paul Lee, not at all well-known here in Britain, but he's a very big wheel at a, a Brit 
comes out of BBC background, very big wheel at the ABC uh, in, in, the, in the ABC network in the United States. There's Mark Scott, who runs this very similarly named ABC Public Broadcast in Australia. Some talk about, I think, Diane Thompson at Camelot. And, I mean, who knows? One could maybe think about some other names if Patton was really wanted a manage, uh, really wanted a management person first and foremost, and somebody who. Uh, either knew a bit about programming or had the good sense to delegate all the programming issues to uh, people with real experience in the area, which in the B, with current structure, means the channel controllers. Well, this one's going to run and run, and more on everything BBC DG at mediaguardian.co.uk, of course. And Dan, we found out today what the budget's going to mean for TV and filmmakers. Yes, that's right. Good news, actually, in the budget, and really can't complain about what George Osborne's done, except maybe to hope he'd drawn it even more widely than he has done. Uh, the film tax relief, which you know date, dates back years, uh, and has been hugely beneficial to kind of making sure that films are filmed in Britain. Harry Potter, for example, uh, uh, movies are obvious beneficiaries. Has, has, is now to be extended. Um, we await details, but now to be extended for cinematic drama. Anyway, you know, Titanic, Downton Abbey, this sort of stuff, uh, and compute. And we knew that was coming last week. But and even more excitingly, computer games, uh, video games, and animation. Um, one would only wish it were extended further. So, I don't know A and R and music, other forms of TV production. I mean, even investment in news. But but look, incredibly welcome. These are all areas where the UK talent was beginning to drain out of the UK. So, in animation, Thomas the Tank Engine is made in Canada. Computer games, Lara Croft, are sort of you know again was originally made I think in Derby originally. Now is produced in California. Uh, uh, Titanic, which is sort of airing, uh, you know, this weekend, filmed not in Holland and Wolf and Belfast, where the original Titanic was made a hundred years ago, but filmed in Hungary, where it was cheaper to, you know, build an enormous landlocked country. Hungary, I mean, of course, there's some lakes, I guess, but an enormous uh, underwater tank to kind of, uh, uh, you know, to, to to film it. So. Uh, we're you know uh, we're losing sort of talent and skills and if and that's the beginning of the end for British creativity because then you lose the skills and then you lose the companies and then you begin to lose the sort of cultural impact so this is absolutely brilliant news other countries tax giveaways left right and center uh, South Africa's big on it uh, Canada's big on it the US even so we've got to compete and I think for the first time, you actually see a government with the right idea. This is the, the right idea for the creative industries in this respect. Uh, tremendous news. And Vicky Dan mentioned Titanic there, which is going to be on ITV uh, this Sunday. But uh, one of the stars of the show has also bagged uh, a big new role. That's right. Jenna Louise Coleman, who is in uh, Titanic or Drown to Abbey, as I have delightfully heard. I like called. it. I love it. Um, she's very good, actually, in Titanic. She's, she's not an enormous part, but she's very lovely to watch. And she has been announced as the new Doctor Who companion today. Uh, so she'll be taking over from Karen Gillan uh, in in the sixth episode, uh, uh, which will be the Christmas special. Uh, we don't know anything about at all about who the companion is going to be. Moffat, Stephen Moffat won't even reveal what her name is going to be, which, uh, you know, he's really absolutely tight-lipped about it. I mean, I think there's a bit of grumbling already that uh, he <laughs> has cast another, you know, very beautiful young woman to play opposite uh, Matt Smith and, you know, whether we're just sort of seeing this procession of beautiful girls. Um, Aren't his companions always beautiful young women or is that not uh Well, I think that probably is quite a fair point, actually. Um, and, of course, River, uh, we've had River on screen who just at least, you know, she is a grown-up, you know. Uh, I think 
it probably does uh, prompt a wider question. I don't think it's great for sort of tea time telly to always be having the doctor be a man and, you know, his companion, you know, be a young woman who's always slightly infatuated with him. I think that's kind of, you know, that relationship is perhaps not necessarily what you always want your kids to watch. I don't know. And there's more deaths on the horizon, is that right? And this time someone actually might die. Well, that's what Moffat's sort of saying. He's sort of doing a hint. Uh, So we'll see Amy and Rory until the fifth episode. That's when they'll bow out. And uh, Moffat said today uh, that we'll see the return of the Weeping Angels and that uh, not everybody gets out alive. Now, that can be taken to mean absolutely anything. Because he's teased us before, hasn't he? He's the, yeah. king, he's the master of the tease. Exactly. And, I, and I'm and i not sure that I think he would quite have the heart to kill off Amy or Rory. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but that's what he said. So I, I don't know quite what that means. And I guess I'm not supposed to quite know what that means. Uh, well, Doctor Who was up at the... Uh, it didn't win a prize at the uh, Royal Television Society Awards. But plenty of Channel 4 programmes did. It was a great night. Channel 4 had an excellent night at the RTS Awards. Um, yeah, they, you know, Top Boy very deservedly uh, took prize. Um, uh, Hugh Fanley Whitting Store did well. Darren Brown won a prize. Which yeah, I was, beat Graham Norton. Which I was very surprised about. And I, I'm actually not sure I completely agree with. I sort of think that was a very old decision in some ways. Um, yeah, they had a good night, didn't they? They took 10 awards. Um, and ITV had quite a good night as well. Took uh, prizes for appropriate adult for their drama. Um Lost out to Luther, uh, Scott and Bailey lost out to Luther. Yeah, which was a surprise. I thought, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really get Luther completely left me behind. Not because it was too complicated. Uh, Luther's a very old program. I think it kind of really does, uh, uh, really does divide people. And I think the second series was much better than the first, which really wasn't much cop at all. Um, but it's that sort of they're quite interesting. I think Scott and Bailey versus Luther, Luther, because they're at kind of complete opposite ends of the spectrum within a genre. You know, and um, so you've got Luther, which is extremely heightened, and then you've got Scott and Bailey, which is absolutely precise in terms of procedural and is all about the relationships between the people working. So it was quite interesting, maybe, to see those against each other. But do you think Channel Four was sort of fair value for whatever it was, ten award wins? I mean, it, I sort of, I didn't, I didn't quite think that Channel Four has been sort of shooting the lights out creatively. But maybe when, you, maybe on an awards night, when you boil it down, there's there are sort of seven or eight shows, and it was a fair result. Um, it slightly took me by surprise, I think. Um, it's not necessarily because I think the shows that won weren't worthy winners. Apart from, I mean, Darren Brown really was, I thought, very surprising. And it felt a little bit to me that they were all, fair, you know, while they sort of stacked up in their categories, I'm not sure they're entirely representative of quality from Channel 4 across the board. It felt like uh, Channel 4 had done very well in having those highlights, whereas the BBC, which really didn't come do very well last night, um, I think it has much more of a sort of a, a quality across its programmes, but perhaps doesn't have those standout moments. So, um, I mean, I think it's that thing. It's difficult to judge a channel on the basis of an award ceremony, isn't it? Because highlights don't necessarily mean they're the channel you want to turn on to every night. Well, Dan, it wasn't only the uh, it wasn't the only awards show in town uh, on Tuesday night. We also had the uh, the press awards. Yes, not televised, probably mercifully. I think as uh, as journalists do like uh, uh, to imbibe now and again. It was a very good night for the Daily Mail. It was a very good night for Craig Brown, who won three awards, which is apparently the first time anyone's won three awards ever. So, uh, uh, good luck to him for his sort of uh, columns and uh, criticism 
the male one, I think eight male on Sunday, one a male online, one best website. Uh, I suppose hard to argue with if you're going to sort of uh, talk about ratings. Um, Mail's a great paper. I think we're at our end of year discussion, I said it was, uh, Vicky, I think, was slightly horrified, but I think I said the Mail's sort of my sort of favourite paper other than the Guardian, if I'm allowed to say that here. Uh, and, and strength and depth was rewarded. I think the only, the only fly in the ointment would be that I think a lot of talk about the, Stephen, the brilliant Stephen Lawrence coverage, but uh, that was more of a 2012 event rather than a 2011 event, and that was what we were judging in the press awards, but hey. Vicky, do you think the, the mail, uh, I'm guessing your answer, but the mail, best newspaper of the year and best website of the year? Um, I'm not horrified by the mail. I'm not, I mean, you know, I think it's an extremely, wor- what it does, it does brilliantly. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, if, if it doesn't, if your politics don't chime with it, your politics don't chime with it, but it's still a great paper, it's a great read, it's very well put together. Um, it's website, it's website. I mean, you know, the sidebar of shame is compelling. You can't turn away from it, even though it's just thousands of women apparently pouring their curves into bikinis. That's all the sidebar of shame is. Um, uh, but it seems to do the numbers. I mean, I don't know. I kind of think it, it's sort of lowest common denominator a bit, that website, and it's all about traffic. And I, and I think maybe the traffic is its reward i don't know that i'd say it was the best website ever but um you know it knows what it wants to do it does it and dan as um, which you could mention too to a uh, scoop of the year which uh, went to the guardians uh, nick davis yeah the guardian won one award i suppose we ought to say that um uh which indeed was scoop of the year for the millie dowler story um not not an award i think we were uh, people at the guardian were expecting uh, uh, the paper to win. Uh, there was obviously controversy about the story because of the the, the, the strap line and the deletion and the deletion aspect and the whole subsequent uh, correction because we'd claimed or you know in an original reporting on good faith that um, news that the news of the world had basically deleted some of her voicemails to make room for more messages and there isn't any firm or clear cut evidence of that now. But uh, I think Nick Davis made a sort of short acceptance speech and talked about, I think, uh, the judges having an above-average level of generosity for uh, uh, in, in that award, which uh, they knew was a controversial report. So uh, some recognition for the Guardian's year there, yeah. My thanks to Vicky and to Dan. Uh, more on all these topics at mediaguardian.co.uk. On to television now. And what this country needs is another Saturday night talent show, right? Big thing. Who's got what it takes to make them turn? The Voice, coming soon to BBC One. They're on a mission for Queen and Country. We won't let you down, man. Britain's Got Talent, coming soon. Well, this weekend we've got two of them. The debut of The Voice on BBC One and the return of Britain's Got Talent to ITV. The brainchild of Big Brother creator John DeMol, The Voice was a big hit in the US and was bought by BBC One controller Danny Cohen, who will spend upwards of £20 million on it over the next two years. In other words, he needs it to be a hit. Britain's Got Talent returns after a lacklustre series last year. Simon Cowell's back and ITV brought its launch for by a month to go head-to-head with The Voice. In other words, Cowell and ITV Director of Television Peter Fincham need it to be a hit. Later, we'll hear from Richard Holloway, executive producer of Britain's Got Talent and right-hand man to Simon Cowell. We'll also speak to Wayne Garvey, managing director of international production at Super Indie All 3 Media and former head of the BBC Entertainment Group, whose programmes included another Saturday night talent show, Strictly Come Dancing. 
But first up, we talk to Leanne Klein, creative director of Wall to Wall, the production company which is making the voice for BBC One. First off, the bit that everyone's been talking about is the, is the blind auditions process. Tell us exactly how that works. How it works is our four um, coaches, they're not judges, so our four coaches sit in these amazing uh, automated chairs uh, which have their backs to the stage. The, the contestants who are called artists in the format come onto the stage and there's an audience in the studio but the coaches are looking away from the stage at the audience. The artist starts to sing and if the coach likes their voice, there's a button on the chair which they can hit and the chair spins around and they all is revealed. see the not only is all revealed, but that is a signal that they've chosen that person for that for their team because they they can't suddenly go, actually no, I don't want to work with you. Once they've turned It doesn't go three sixty degrees. Yeah. They want them. They can't turn back. Um what then happens, which actually I think is more actually what the format is about, is that if more than one of them turn, which is often the case, that the singer, the artist, is the one who decides who they want to work with. So what's really interesting about the format, I think, is that the power shifts away from the kind of the, the coaches, the big stars, to the person on the stage, and they actually put those coaches on the spot and say, well, why should I work with you? What have you got to give me? And that not only makes quite entertaining and different television, but actually kind of empowers them in a really interesting way. Do you think you end up with different contestants had they been auditioned in the usual way? Um, Different people have made it through to the final of the show? It's absolutely different. I mean, you know, there's some crossover and there's some sort of familiar tropes and people that you think, oh, I might have seen that person, that sort of person on a, on a talent show before. I think there are probably a couple of people who've been on other um, well-known talent shows before. But, I mean, two things. I think there's, there's um, a credibility around The Voice because of its um, success and its authentic process, um, uh, its success in Holland and in America, but also there's what comes with that is a sense that this is very authentic. You actually do get properly coached by the fa- you know by the famous singers who we've got sitting in those chairs, um, and um, it's slightly less exploitative than maybe some other talent shows that have gone before. So I think it attracts a slightly different sort of person to the auditions. Uh, It attracts people who really are amazing vocalists, and we made it very clear in the way that we advertised that we were only interested in people who could sing, and there really was no point turning up unless you could sing really well. So I think all of that has brought a different type of contestant to the the show. You said it's not exploitative like some other talent shows. Is is that a reference to X Factor or Britain's Got Talent? No, I mean, you know, just all sorts of talent shows in the past. There's, you know, there's there's fun and and entertainment in seeing people who aren't very good in in an audition process. So it's kind of taking the moral high ground in a sense. No, I don't think so. I don't think it's taking the moral high ground. I mean, it's a very entertaining show. There's lots of kind of banter and competitiveness and humour in it. So I don't think it's, it's not po-faced, put it that way. Uh, and Will I Am certainly isn't po faced. He seems like a bit of a. He seems like the genuine. Um, he seems like the gem on the on the among the judges or coaches, I should say. He's he's very funny and witty, and he's got a kind of slightly comes at everything from a slightly unusual angle, which I think is I hope people will love, but it's a real surprise, you know. Uh, and um, he comes he, across as a bit of a man of the people, which is you know, <laughs> which isn't can't be easy for him, seeing as all the people he's worked with and you know the amount of money he's made. But he seems like a, a genuine gem. Yeah, I mean, I think he he he's still really aware of his own roots, 
um, in everything that he does, you know, and, and I think that comes across. Yeah. Well, the elephant in the room is, you know, Simon Callum, Britain's Got Talent, but there's a, there's a real buzz about it now with the two shows launching on the same night. Have, have you known anything like it in TV? It's a real sense of rivalry and anticipation. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, in a way, it's... To be making a show which has become the subject of so much kind of media speculation before anyone's seen anything isn't necessarily um, the best way to be. I don't know. but um, In terms of it, it really ranks up the, heaps, heaps the pressure on the show in a um, sense. Well, you know, I just want people to come to it and watch it and decide whether they like it or not rather than have, their, have the agenda set and they're kind of they're looking at certain things all the time. And You know, it's not about comparing it with any other show. It's about... This show, do people like it? Do they engage with it? Do they want to watch it? What did you make of uh, ITV moving uh, uh, Britain's Got Talent to, to the same launch night? I know they said there are plenty of reasons why they did it, but uh, it seems pretty clear it's a spoiling tactic. I agree with that, yeah. I think it was. And how much does that... I mean, is, is that a hindrance or does it help in a sense because it builds up that anticipation and kind of tabloid fever or, or you know, is, is it, frankly, a bit unfair of ITV to... I mean, they're essentially trying to strangle it at birth, aren't they? Well, they're not because actually there's an hour difference between the two shows, so you can easily they did shift watch. Eventually, you, in their scheduling, you, yeah. I think there always would have been actually, and I think if you look, you know, when X Factor and Strictly Come Dancing are on at the same time, at the same time of year, they always complementarily schedule them, so that there's very little overlap. And of course, you'd do that. Um, so um, I think it's meant that there's a huge amount of press coverage about The Voice, which is a great thing. There's no one who doesn't know about it, um, which is a great thing. Um, but to directly compare them seems an odd thing to do when they're very different shows and you can enjoy them both. And we keep hearing a lot about Cheryl Cole joining the show, or at least I do in the Daily Star. Is, uh, is there any truth in that? I and what know kind nothing of role about she'll, uh, that at all, no. Really? I don't believe it. Seriously. <laughs> right, OK, OK. Uh, and finally, how do you think it's... Uh, this is the million-dollar question, or £22 million yeah. question. How do you think it's going to rate? What are you looking for on Sunday when the overnight's coming? Um, I think that, uh, you know, again, ideas of comparisons in ratings are slightly odd here because I think, you know, any new show, including Britain's Got Talent, Strictly Come Dancing, I think X Factor, when they first launched, did about half, had about half the viewers that they do in series five, six, seven, eight, you know. Um, and so I think the expectation that there will even be a comparative, you know, a, a comparable rating is is slightly odd, um, you know. And again, it's been talked up by the papers. So I don't know. I mean, I I, don't, I really don't know what the BBC are expecting, um, but it won't be anywhere near as big as you know Strictly. Do you think it needs a minimum, sort of five million, six million on their yeah, first that. outing? Yeah. Next up, Richard Holloway, executive producer of Britain's Got Talent. I started by asking him what's different about the new series of BGT. What's different this year, of course, is there's the return of Simon Cowell back on the judging panel on the tour, which, you know, is, is a huge bonus for us. You know, we always miss Simon not being part of the show. And last year he, he only guested on the live shows and this time he's done the entire tour. And that's lifted the entire show without a doubt. Plus the fact that we've got David Williams in who's, chemistry with Simon is fantastic. The two of them really work well together. Introducing Alicia into the show has helped enormously. So we have four judges for the first time. So 
last in the previous years we've only ever had three judges the three x's the three buzzers the four brings a different quality to the show because you've got to have you know as soon as you've got three x's you've got to wait for the fourth buzz before you stop the act and then you've got to have three yeses to go through to the next round so that's a quite a different dynamic uh, secondly what we've also done is for what we call the reality part of the filming we've given that quite a different thrust and it's a much more real situation in terms of seeing the contestants we shoot a lot more of them backstage you'll see the same sort of thing with ant and deck as you've seen in the past they will be in the wings as they always have been but we film them a lot more the, the acts backstage waiting to go on and before we've held them in holding rooms and then brought them round to the theater and to try and create more of a a real situation, a better atmosphere and an anticipation before they go on. We brought them to the theatre much earlier and that's paid huge dividends. So more backstory and more narrative and more of a human element, I guess. What, 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 more narrative what you and you'll that? find there's less voiceover and more sync sound this year. OK, so the whole thing feels a bit more real. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned Simon there, of course. How much did the show miss him last year? Well, I think it's, it's interesting because he is without any question or doubt the best judge he is i mean i'm you know i'm not going to blow smoke up his ass but he is the best judge of all of these shows whether it's the x factor or whether it's britain's got talent you know he brings an incisiveness he brings an instinct he brings an honesty the audiences love the way that he critiques the acts um you miss that so when you replace him on a panel you know, the, you do, you have that sort of immediate, I miss Simon not being there. Now, that is not to say that he's irreplaceable. He is replaceable. But you do miss him. You know, he's the, you know, he, he's the best. So BGT now in its sixth series, and you've been more proactive in finding contestants. Is, is that a sign that the, that the talent well is running dry? No, I wouldn't say the talent well is running dry. This is a country of 60, 70 million people. Um, there are a lot of people here that want and feel as though they have got something to offer in this business, whether they're acrobats, comedians, jugglers, vents, magicians, strongmen, dancers, singers, no matter what they may be. Um, so, no, I don't think the well, the well is dried. I think what, what you have to do is you have to dig as deep as you can to find them. And you have to publicise the fact that there is this fantastic opportunity. And we have to be more proactive in encouraging the people to come and apply for the show. Well, tell us about the rivalry with uh, BBC One's The Voice, which uh, gives, the, gives the thing a whole new angle this year. Yeah, well, The Voice is a good, you know, it's a good show. It's had a fantastic amount of success in America. Um, we don't quite know if the, the BBC One show is going to be exactly the same format that we know in America. They've, you know, they've kept their cards pretty close to their chest in terms of what they're doing. They've got some, you know, some very, very good judges, um, some household names there and some interesting people, some of which we've worked with on the X Factor before. Um, Jesse and uh, Will I Am have both been on the X Factor before and they've been very, very good. Um, the, the, formats, the, the format's interesting because the, the, the initial shows uh, have, you know, the, 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 the intrigueness of, of not knowing who the people are. The judges don't know who the people are that are singing before, before they make a, um, uh, an opinion in terms of whether they like them, whether they don't, and then they're revealed. Uh, it's a very repetitive format, so we'll have to see how much people you know, hook into that and continue to want to watch it. So that'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think the audition shows are somewhat more fascinating than the live shows. But again, you know, I haven't seen the show, so it's difficult to say. There's no question about it. It's competition for us. It's stiff competition for us. 
we are running against each other for about 15 to 20 minutes on the Saturday. They overlap, such as they did with X Factor and Strictly. Um, we will have to see. I mean, I think you know, the advantage we have is that the show is full of far more variety. The show has four fantastic judges. Uh, the show has Ant and Deck, which is a, a huge advantage for us. They, you know, everybody absolutely adores them, and they're brilliant this year. I mean, I think the level of talent we have this year is better than we've ever had. The production values are, you know, we're really thrilled with the first two shows. We've now edited the first two shows. We're really pleased with them. Um, we're optimistic, but, you know, we're, we know that we've got real competition there. Well, I think you sound super confident. <laughs> Do I? I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm super confident, but I'm confident. Yeah, yeah. OK, Richard, and just finally, uh, I guess you to uh, uh, dangerous game, of course, but get your overnight's crystal ball out. What kind of figures would, be, would you be happy with uh, come Sunday morning? In terms of millions, that's a hard call because, as we have found in the past, people that make predictions for big numbers can sometimes get tripped up, he said in inverted commas. It wasn't my intention at all with the question. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that, but I, I would like to think that we're a good million, couple of million more than The Voice. That would be good. My thanks to Richard Holloway there. For an independent take on the Saturday night talent battle... I spoke to Wayne Garvey and started by asking him, who's under the most pressure, Danny Cohen or Simon Cowell? It's got to be Simon Cowell. He's coming back from America. He's, he's had a, uh, a run of unfortunate luck in the UK. And the test will be, do the UK audience love Simon Cowell as much as they used to? Because his return is really being played up by ATV yeah. and the trailers. What it's a great the trailer. The... What an exciting trailer. It's brilliant, isn't it, that trailer? And, uh, this is the James Bond-style one where he emerges from an office in the, in the Y of the Hollywood sign. Uh, yeah, right? Indeed. And it gives a sense of what, what I love about this, of course, it's big and bold and there feels like real comp- competition on a Saturday night at a time of year that isn't autumn. Because normally we get this when Strictly and X Factor starts. Here we are in, where are we, March, just before Easter, and suddenly the Saturday night TV show is really competitive, which is great, I think. So you think Cal's under more pressure than Danny Cohen, who's the I think so. BBC I mean, One controller? Look, Danny, He's invested £22 million pounds yes, in this format over two years. Danny's invested a lot of money in this, um, but Danny's only been controller of BBC One for, what, a year or so? He, uh, I think Danny will. Danny's going to be one of those great... BBC One controllers, I think. I think he's got a really good touch. And I think it's indicative of his boldness that he will go out. He went out and he wanted this big format. And I admire his bravery in doing it. I know there are people who are saying, should the BBC be spending that much money on popular entertainment? We can come back to that in a minute. But frankly, if it doesn't work, actually, it's too early in his controllership for it to really count against him, I think. And if it does work, of course, wow. Well, let's cast our uh, let's travel in time forward to Sunday morning about ten o'clock, half past ten, when the overnights come through yep. from Sassy Launch. Uh, how many viewers does the Voice Ooh, need to get to be a success? I think it needs at least six. Less than I, six. I and... think I, I would think any less than six, and you think that's a hard climb. These kind of shows tend to build, but you want a big opening number, I think, um, because otherwise it suggests that the audience don't want to come anyway. So I would I would say six and above. Very, very good. 
You could probably live with five, but I think they want six. And what about, you've talked about the pressure that's on Cal. What about him and BGT? Because he had a bit of a year to forget last year. It was still a big rating show. But well, What I love about, what, he's, what I always like about Simon Cowell is that he's very bold and he, he will say, we got it wrong, now we're doing something differently. And, and I think that's quite refreshing. And what I love, I think both these shows have extraordinarily good casts, actually. And I think Williams is a is a really really good signing for Britain's Got Talent on BGT. Yep. Yeah, because what does Williams bring? First of all, you talk to any kid in this country, they love David Williams. They love him because of Little Britain and they admire him because of the sports release stuff. And and so he's almost like an iconic figure, but he's also David's got that eccentric, very British sense of humour, which is absolutely perfect for the kind of eccentricity and nonsense we expect from BGT at its very best. In a way that maybe David Hasselhoff didn't last time around. I don't know if David Hasselhoff really kind of got what being British is about. Um, and what, what do you make of the, uh, talking of judges, or we should say coaches, which is the buzzword for the, um, yes. the voice? Well, uh, again, lineup. what do you really, make of Well, I think talent? that was, I think when, when we knew the BBC were doing this, the next question was, right, who's going to produce it? And who are the judges? And first of all, uh, because the producer is War to War, who has never made a popular entertainment show. I mean, I'm not, you know, they haven't. They're now part owned by Warners, who have got the rights. And they did a very smart thing. They went and hired Moira Ross, who is the woman who saved Strictly Come Dancing, which had a couple of years when it was really looking very weak and vulnerable. Moira, over the last two years, has done a fantastic job in resurrecting Strictly. And what Moira, as a producer, gets is she gets that she understands that BBC entertainment has to be different to ITV entertainment on a Saturday night. There has to be a heart to it. And Moira understands heart and the comedic values that are so important. So it'd be interesting to see whether she and her team can bring that into, into The Voice, which is a big, big um, uh, show in America and very loud and bombastic. The next thing is, have they got the cast right? I think... Uh, I think they probably have, actually. I think Tom Jones is a smart booking. I think he gives you... Uh, he brings in the older audience. Jessie J, my, my 12-year-old and 9-year-old daughter, is very excited about Jessie J because they like her because she has that anti-bullying song. She, again, is quite a totem figure among the young. And then you've got, for the slightly cooler and slightly older audience, you've got Will I Am, and then you've got the other bloke who I don't know who he is, <laughs> frankly. But there's always a bloke you don't know who they are. The Ken figure. Yes. So just finally, Wayne, do you think The Voice is going to be a hit? Is Danny Cohen going to look forward to it coming back next year or will it be a millstone around his neck? I think the producers are good. I think the judges are good. If the talent's good enough, it will be a big hit. My thanks to Wayne Garvey there. And we'll be live blogging The Voice on The Guardian's TV site from 7pm this Saturday. Of all things The Voice and Britain's Got Talent related, turn to mediaguardian.co.uk. That's all for this week. I'm John Plunkett and the producer was Jason Phipps. See you next time. Guardian Podcast, sponsored by audible.co.uk. For a free download, be sure to check out guardian.co.uk slash free download, where Guardian listeners can choose any audiobook for free. See the page for more details. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.